Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Esther Weinberg. Esther is a business growth accelerator who equips high-level executives to build sustainable and profitable company cultures based on a foundation of respect, safety, and trust. As founder and chief leadership development officer of The Ready Zone, she moves leaders through change with proven systems to create big pivots, big impact, and big returns. Esther has been transforming organizations such as Netflix, Sony, and Disney, and has held executive positions at Disney and Fox. Thanks so much for joining me today, Esther. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about leadership, obviously. Um, and and it's, you know, we're in such a, what did somebody say to me today? That there um, is no normal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, that's true. <laughs> right? So I, I, I guess, you know, we're, we're almost learning from scratch, but, but not quite. So I am... Go ahead. I just want to interrupt you for one second because, yes. you know, it's it's fascinating to me that now obviously COVID. Well, mm-hmm. you know what you're what you're really the substance the the origination of this is COVID. But I got to tell you that if you turn back the clock not that far past COVID, I remember I was having conversations with people in 2019 with clients. Like I'll never forget, I was having a conversation with the president of a sales division. And he was saying to me, he was in new business development and new product development. And he, and we were having a conversation. It was five o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, oh, you know, he didn't sound very well. And I said, you know, what's, what's happening for you? And he's like, oh, I was in the hospital last night at kidney stones. And I said, why are we talking? And he said, oh, I said, I'll have a meeting at 6 30 like something like 6 30 6 6 30 and uh, a dinner and I said no you don't <laughs> and I said what do you mean isn't there anyone inside of your organization that could take this meeting because you're sick you know you need a rest you were in the right. hospital last night and he sounded horrible and he's like, no, he goes no he goes no not really I'm like well that's a different conversation but there's no way that you should be going to this thing. And I got to tell you, those kinds of mental health issues, 
were if we're 2019 and pre and so covid just shot a well shot a uh, what, what would you call it? like a bomb through it a, a, a bottle yeah. rocket through it whatever you want to call it yeah it was happening before it was happening before so i thank you so much for telling that story and i i want to keep going with it so my question from that is have you noticed a change in people where they are actually considering their self-care more now than they did pre-COVID? Well, I would say that it's interesting because Microsoft came out with a study in this year and well-being was a ma- hybrid work was a massive part of it. Well-being yeah. was another massive part of it. I think that what COVID did for the last two years, what it demonstrated was a few things. One is that people are incapable of handling the kind of stress that became more magnified from it. Number two is that well-being was on people's companies, not just companies' radars for years before, but it became almost a business imperative because they were losing people rapidly. And I know you had a had a, a show on the Great Resignation. I mean, there's a reason for that, right? And so yeah. there's so I believe that now, before I don't know if people saw it as a business imperative as much as they do now. So I have seen a dramatic shift, especially because of the social issues as well, and yeah. also because of the the difference in the generations that are entering the workplace and what is concerning to them. And so as a result, people have had to really be more mindful about their the emotional well-being, as well as mental well-being of the people who report to them, as well as people in their organization. Now, I will say that it's it's fluctuated. So Meaning that in 2020, at the onset of COVID, it was extreme. You sent everybody home and no one knew what the heck this was going to look like. And so people saw they had to really change how they were leading because people were not responsive. And so that's one thing. Now, what you're seeing, what I'm seeing, is that companies, many are still merging, reorganizing, uh, reorganizing teams. And then in the midst of all that, they're saying, okay, what are your goals and priorities? And so without having necessarily necessarily a first conversation of, how are you all doing? How, how are we doing? Yeah. How, are, how, are, how are you faring in the middle of everything? And so, and I have probably a long answer, but that's what I'm seeing is the state of the what's so today now. Thank you. I, I, that is really interesting to me. I, I, and I get it. Um, it's, it feels like companies are, are still trying to figure it out because like when COVID hit, um, it almost felt easy. You know, this is what we have to focus on. This is what we have to worry about, blah, blah, blah. But then you start coming out of it. And I feel like leaders might be in this, okay, well, do we go back to, the, you know, the way things were before? Do, is there some sort of mix is is you know or do we go to a whole new format you know really just trying to navigate continued uncertainty well i would say here's the thing so there's the you know there's the cause and the effect 
So some things that we're talking about is just the effect, but not the cause. So what I mean by that is if you really want to have a workplace where people are excited and invigorated to come and talent retention is high, we need to look at the world of performance much differently than how we look at it. And what I mean by that is from a leadership perspective is we constantly look at uh, actions and results, right? Like, and we have, and we're so clever. We have KPIs that measure it. And so we look at the actions you take, the results you produce. We even have, we have profit and loss statements. We have balance sheets. We're very clever in how we analyze it, right? We, we take actions lead to different results. We don't like the results. We change the actions, but what, what it is kind of Einstein's quint, quintessential definition of insanity that we actually never take issue with the observer. The observer that we are looks out into the world, sees it a certain way, and then chooses the actions to take or not take based on their upbringing, their experiences, their value systems, their heritage, who they are. And so that is what dictates the actions to which they take. And so we're only dealing with one part of the equation we have been as leaders for years inside the workplace. And now I think where we are is that it's not working. And so now the shift has to be, how do we actually uh, facilitate people in a different way so their sight dictates, we're dealing with how people see. So that almost like, if you think of almost like a camera, if I constantly see the world through a telephoto lens, and then all of a sudden I put on a wide angle lens, it's like, oh, I didn't know this was here. So there is all of a sudden people are concerned about, you know, as they always have been innovation, seeing things newly, finding new solutions, seeing things differently. But if we don't actually facilitate how people are seeing the world newly, then it's never going to change. It's just not. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. Yeah. And I will say, and here's what I mean. And it's even as, as simple as this, I was talking to two executives last week and their organization has gone through layoffs and it's probably the first layoffs that the company has done. It's a multi-billion dollar company. It's actually remarkable. It's the first substantive layoffs. Not that they haven't let people go along the way, but substantive layoffs that they've done in years or actually ever in the company's history. And I think the company is almost 20 years old. So we are talking about the fact that now they need to lead differently you know, they themselves are trying to figure out, you know, these two female executives are trying to figure out, like, how do we lead differently our teams? What's being, here's what's being asked of us, where it used to be a very autonomous culture, it's becoming a little less autonomous. And so how do they lead? How do they encourage their teams to lead? Because people are now, their teams are coming to them and saying, just tell us what to do. We don't know what to do this environment. Things are changing all the time. Just tell us what we need to do. Tell us what we need to produce. Just give us the priorities and we'll do them. And they're feeling very much like it's anti the culture that's been set up. That's very autonomous. That really gives people freedom to create and, uh, and to bring in new ideas and even financially giving them a lot more freedom. And so when we came down to it, what we were talking about is how do you actually get people to see differently? Because they're not being able to create. They just want their bosses now to tell them, tell us what to do and we'll do it, which is exactly the culture you don't want to create. Right. 
So we talked about is the simplest thing is we have to get people to see what actually are the facts of the situation. Undis indisputable. Like if I put you on the stand of a court of law, what are facts are indisputable? Then based on those facts, how are you interpreting those situations? As you, under, as you know this, as humans, we are meaning-making machines. So how do we actually interpret, what is the, what's the meaning I'm making out of it? And I'm not gonna judge you for whatever you say, but let's just talk about it. And most likely they'll brain dump probably two pages of stuff. And it's very north of the facts. Then when you see what are the facts, what's the meaning you're making out of it or your interpretations or your assessments, now you could say, okay, well, what's the impact if you, if you continue to see it that way? Now let's go back to your original intention. What was your intention? Now you can choose differently and self-author and have self-agency, whereas before you were trapped inside of your assessments. And I think if leaders just perfected that, we call that the reality check. If you just did that, that would be a game changer. I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love things. I love um, things that are fact-based because I think it's really the only way you can deal with some, you know, a situation is to just look at the facts and, and get all of the emotion and, and opinion and all of that out of the way. Um, so that, that really resonates with me. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I remember I had a client who was a chief general counsel at a company and her boss is the CEO of the organization. And he's a lawyer. He was, a, he was a lawyer too. And she calls me one day because she's had some friction with him because, because he's a lawyer, she's a lawyer. He kind of dips a bit more into her world because it's his, you know, it's his roots. It's his genesis mm -hmm. where it came from. Right. Yeah. And so it can't help it. Can't just can't help it. So, and they've talked several times about the fact that he needs to back off and just give her, let her do her job. And I mean that, of course, they said it much kinder than I'm saying it right now. <laughs> but, um, and they're friends. And so, you know, they could have really great, honest conversations. And they had that kind of uh, honest relationship. Anyway, she calls me one day and she's really upset. And she said, he's doing it again. And I said, well, what's exactly he's doing? And, and she was so frustrated with her job and her organization. She was thinking of leaving. And I'm like, what do you do again? And she said, well, I just closed a massive deal for the company, millions and millions of dollars, a very significant deal. And in response to me telling him we closed the deal, he's, he, he wants to know everything about it. And I said, well, can you, can you read me the email? And he said, he literally, the email said something like, congratulations, so happy. Can you share with me the deal points? So <laughs> I said, was there anything else in the email? She said, no. I said, okay, why don't you tell me, share with me what you make it mean? And as she was talking, I was writing everything that she was saying. So, and we, we were, and I said, let's hop on a virtual call because it's easier you know you can see someone's sure. face anyway so we're doing this live and um i'm writing down all the way all the way she's saying it he's there he goes again he doesn't think i'm an expert he's in my stuff again when will he back off um if he wow. thinks you know he can do it too you know all this stuff and uh so what i did was i just shared my screen with her and i just said you know here's what you made it mean. And I'm just curious, what's the impact if you just continue to see it this way? 
and she just got really, you know, she sighed and she's like, you know, our, our friendship will be destroyed. Our relationship will never get better. We won't be able to collaborate. I don't know if I'm going to be able to innovate because I'm just going to be resigned. And, and, um, and I probably will at some, I'll probably leave because I'm so, I'm getting to the end of my rope. And I said, but what's your intention for your relationship with him? She's like, my intention is I really want to, I want to be a partner with him. I want partnership and I want collaboration and I want freedom. I said, okay, well, based on that, now what can you do? And she starts laughing and she's like, you know, it's so simple. How did I not see it before? She's like, I'm just going to email him back and tell him here are the deal points. (laughs) I said, well, let's do that. Let's see what happens. So she emails him back and she says, literally here are the deal point, you know, it's, and it's good to talk to a lawyer, you know, when you're talking about the facts, right? Yeah. Right. I said, just, you know, exactly. Just email on the facts. So she emails him back and she, and he emails her back and she forwards me the email and all the emails said, terrific. Congratulations again. (laughs) (laughs) But think of it, you know, it's something so small, but think of it. What would have been had she not gone through or thought through the process in a new way? Yeah. What became available to her was there was cognitive blindness occurring mm-hmm. for her, blind or she it was a blind spot for her. And had she not opened her view, the repercussions would have been it's it's almost like the movie Sliding Doors. You know, there have been a different reality that would have been created. Right. And as a result, now she could actually change her her outcome. Whereas so often today, people feel like it's being done to them rather than being in the driver's seat. And now mm-hmm. they can put their, herself in the driver's seat of choice to see what something is rather than what she preferred or what she didn't prefer, frankly. I love that example. I think it is so incredibly valuable because I, I think everyone, myself included, can listen to that and go, yep, I've done that. Yep, I, I, I get that. It's so easy to react from you know where we come from absolutely yeah Yeah. and it's so you know we have to remember that I think what gets lost is that we're dealing with human beings yeah we're dealing with people and so it's it's natural for people to have to feel a certain and to have feelings I think now going back to your original questions I think now we're more open to the conversations about feelings and emotions, not in a squishy way, like I'm watching a romantic comedy, but but it's 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 really an important ingredient. You know, for example, like um, when I was, we were doing, we have a, a leadership program called Rise, and it's actually, we run it virtually too. And it's powerful because it's not just, you know, developing people, according to our methodology, but it's also, we create these think tanks and, uh, and it was in one session, (laughs) the group of 20 people was, was saying, you know, we're so tired of people complaining, so many people complaining in this company. And I thought it was interesting. They were complaining about people complaining. (laughs) And so, and so I, you know, we were, and, uh, and we, you know, we laughed about that, but I said, you know, you have to remember that when people, when you hear it as a complaint, We have to remember our listening. Where are we listening from? And then people only uh, quote unquote complain about things that they're actually committed to. And so you as a leader, it's your job is to find out what are they committed to? Because that's what's underneath it. You know, like when I talk about cause and effect, 
The effect is the hearing of it as a complaint. But what is the really root cause? And that is a leader you can do, you can get underneath of that you can really help this one person team of people, you know, on a, a bigger scale, create create a different result for them and a different outcome. Yeah, right, right. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Oh my gosh, this is such a big topic. So, <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about times of change. Yeah. And, you know, from, from you know, we've talked a lot about, I, I feel like, you know, what you're just seeing organizations do. But one of the things that we have going on right now is this hybrid workforce. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm I'm curious about how people can be leading these hybrid workforces when we do have so many things on our minds. Well, you mentioned it earlier, you know, the the politics and the health and, and race and just everything that has bubbled up in, in the past couple of years. Not that they weren't there before, but they're really present now. Um, but how do you lead that hybrid workforce so that the employees are empowered, so that, that the staff is empowered and the organization is successful? Well, there's a few things. One is that you have to remember that the, the baseline, like I often say that you know, what do people really want today? They they want to feel ready to powerfully take on all these opportunities and challenges that are at their feet. And so I always, people, what we've seen is that really the way to do it is to create organizational cultures where trust, respect, and psychological safety are not just valued. They can be measured as the bottom line. And so we talk about it as we have these zone performance indicators. Those are our KPIs for the ready zone for how to diagnose, diagnose this environment. But to going back to your original question, as a leader, you of course the work has to get done. We understand that. You're not, a, you know, obviously you're a, you're a company or you're, an, or you're a nonprofit organization. It could be, you know, whichever size of company we're talking about and work has to get done. But the foundation of it is that the foundation has to be solid. It's kind of like, Kind of like the metaphor would be, you know, building the house and talking about the, the wallpaper in the bathrooms rather than talking about how solid the foundation of the house is. And so, you know, as an example, I was talking to an executive a few weeks ago. She's a senior vice president in marketing. And she said, you know, we're going to this hybrid 
work and we're going to be in the office two to three days a week. And as a leadership team, we're trying to figure out how do we get people in the office? And I said, well, what'd you come up with? And she's like, well, we still don't really have the answer for it other than the company's mandating it. <laughs> so I said, well, it's maybe you need to change the question. Maybe the question is, how do we create an environment where people are excited to come to work, where they feel respected, trusted, and valued for the work that they're actually doing? They're, they're excited about the work that they're doing, the environment to which they're doing it in. And, and so not that we want to bring them into a prison and put them in you know, their cubicle or their office or their walls, and we're locking them in and we're throwing away the key. I mean, it's an insane question. It's, it's insane. It's insane to think about it that way. But I would say the foundation of it is creating, uh, number one, a culture that's portable. We have to think about culture as portable because when we went into uh, lockdown mode in 2020, all we did was we took our so-so way of working and put it on a Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to laugh, but it's like, you know, just imagine this crappy meeting schedule, right? I mean, I think at first, if we revolutionize meetings, I think we'd revolutionize the workplace. But if we, we took like meetings back to back to back to back, right? And we didn't even give ch- people the chance to truly go to the bathroom because they had to walk in between, you know? And now we really said, you can't go to the bathroom because now it's from, it's from your home and from your computer. So, so I think that, um, I mean, all joking aside, you have to, leaders have to think about if work is, if we're doing if two things are most important, trust, respect, and psychological safety in the workplace, yeah. that's three things, and building a portable culture. What does that actually look like? What is the work? How do we want the work to be? How do we want to approach it? How do we take, you know, I had a woman say to me a few weeks ago, who's in a hybrid work structure and she's managing a team. She's like, so I don't know how to start meetings anymore. What are you talking about? She said, she goes, so am I supposed to ask people how they're doing before I start every meeting? I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's like, but you know, it's, I think it's a real, it's, it's really quantifiable now, right? Because there's data that says that if employees trust their employer's commitments, their engagement level can increase up to 20%. The likelihood they'll leave decreases by 87%. So it's a, so anyway, or back to the point, organizations need to say, what is our culture currently? Like what's the real what so, regardless of where people are. And then what do we really want it to be? Considering we also, there's a burning platform because we have a talent shortage, Right. And we have a talent acquisition shortage right. and talent can be much choosier. And so what is the culture we actually want to bring them into, not just the work? And then how do we create as part of that part of a culture, how do we create an environment where people feel trusted, they respect, they feel respected and they feel safe to do the work that they're really signed up to do and then to stretch them beyond that? You know, I, I feel like, all of this comes down to changing the way we look at our employees 
to seeing them as partners in, in an effort to accomplish something instead of um, a headache, uh, you know, someone who's going to take advantage of a situation, whatever it is. Like it, it, I, I hear this respect thing so loud and clear because I feel like if we just got back to, you know, the basics, the fundamentals, people want to feel respected. They want to feel like they're contributing to something, you know, bigger than themselves. They want to feel like they have opportunity. They want to be heard, you know, wh whatever, pull all those things together. If we just were having those conversations and really trusted that people want to do a good job, that whole dynamic would change and it wouldn't matter where people are. Yeah, I think that there's, I, I, I'll just layer on and then perhaps even give more practical Great. thoughts on it too. Okay. One is that we have, we're now more in the awareness that we have external calamities, supply chain shortages, inflation, climate change, gun violence, hate crimes. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Well, we're not, that's not the subject of this <laughs> podcast, but, but what about our interior crisis? How come we take our eye off the ball when it comes to us? Yeah. And if you think about that, and you may say that's an existential question, but as leaders, that is today, that is what you're leading. And as leaders, what are we, what are we really leading? We're leading people's lenses, how we see the world. And then we really need to examine what has us see, because that also is informing how other people see. And it's even more vital now, because what's happening now is that leaders are needing to also manage messaging and uh, please forgive perhaps the way this sounds as a, as a gay woman saying this, but we're also needing to manage the messaging about the social issues that are now coming to companies' doorsteps. Sure, It's no longer a personal, like my personal beliefs, but they're coming into the company. Yeah. I had someone say to me, I couldn't believe it last week. Um, he said that he does a lot of government work. And he said that no longer in government, is your personal opinion separate from your work? It's full on. I have my opinion about guns, about my pol political issues, about my social issues. I've got full on and I can display it. So as leaders, we're needing to manage that now. Yeah. So it's important that there's a few things that connection and empathy go a long way. Yeah. It's important that you demonstrate that you take care of yourself first. I had a, I was just, I was leading a, a, uh, a conversation with global leaders a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the leadership, actually really the leadership qualities they want to develop globally inside of their, I mean, they're rapidly growing like on fire. I mean, they're, they're generating at least like another hundred to 200 million a year in revenue. And so they were saying, what do the leadership qualities want to develop? And then they, then they started laughing. They said, we can't even embody what we're telling that we want people to embody. <laughs> we wow. can't even, which was, I thought was a huge awareness. Yeah. Someone to see that and say, okay, given that now, what do we want? I thought was amazing. So sure. it has to be a, take care of yourself first, learn how to speak with people about their emotions 
It's important that you be human too, to share how you feel. I had an executive who was talking to me about the fact that one of her, they've lost so many people inside their organization. And one of her leaders is now leaving to a huge, amazing opportunity. She's being elevated to president of a whole company. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity, but it's very scary for the people that are staying. And so for a leader that doesn't talk to people about their emotions, we were talking about how do we actually design, craft the communication messaging that people can really talk about how they feel and that she can talk about how she feels more importantly so that she can show that she's human. She can demonstrate grief and loss and also resiliency in the middle of it and it not be BS. It be real, honest, true, and authentic. So, yeah, boy, are you finding that um, more leaders are open to doing that sort of exploration and having these kinds of conversations? I think what they're seeing is they have to. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, it reminds me, I was watching, it was so funny, um, not to give a fictional example, but I was watching this, um, I was watching a series on Netflix and it was so funny that um, this woman, she's a politician and she was um, she was trying to craft the next phase of her political career. And she hired this, she hired a communication specialist. And she was saying that the prime minister, she was so frustrated with the prime minister because she's showing photos of herself on Instagram, like eating a sandwich with her family or you know, going to the water park or something. And she's like, I don't do that. I think that's ridiculous. Why would I show people parts of my life? And he's like, because you have to show people that you're human. And while that's a fictional example, I think it's really valid today. People want to know that they're not talking to a robot. I think people are tired of talking points. If I hear one more time, we're in a, you know, we're devising a solution to really meet the needs of our employee population. <laughs> and as a result of that, we have designed the following strategies. I'm like, no. oh, are you kidding me? People can't respond to that. I don't no. even know what that means. Right. So, I mean, as an example, like I, a few weeks ago, there was a, someone in my session and, and was talking about the fact that, you know, they're, they're looking to be, they're a company looking to be acquired and they're being very selective about who acquires them. And the executives in the meeting were, were very grateful that he was sharing that note that they're being selective. It's not that just whoever has the most amount of money will gobble them up, you know? So it was really a powerful message that they were then going to shepherd with their people. What do you think happened three weeks later? They sold to the highest bidder. Uh, close. No, no, no. They didn't do that they laid off a bunch of people. Wow. Really? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you know, you can't have to be very careful about what you say to people and what you promise. Yeah. And also now look, let's, let's be, let's be candid as, as executives, like what you know today may be different than what you know tomorrow. Sure. But you have to speak to that. You have to you have to language to people. I'm giving you the best that I know right now. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. it may shift. 
given market conditions or circumstances, you know, I'm not probably wordsmithing in this the best way, but for right now, I'm telling you all that that's all that I know, right. all that's real for me. Now, look, let's be clear. You can't tell everybody everything, but you can at least language to people enough where they feel like you're being real with them. And if you don't have that realness, I think people dismiss you more today than ever. I do too. I do too. So that is, that is really at the core. It, it gets back to that trust and respect and, you know, people see through, uh, not insincere, inauthentic. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that one of the few things we have in our, in this world is our word. Yeah. And if you don't, as an executive, honor your word, you do what you say you'll do, then automatically you lose trust. So if someone will, someone asks me sometimes, like, what, what are things that people could do to build trust? Honor your word. Yeah. If you right. say there's no meetings after five o'clock, there's no meetings after five o'clock. Right. Or you give conditions. There's no meetings after five o'clock unless the president of the company calls and there's a burning platform or this happens, like there may, there will be exceptions. We're doing everything we can to make sure there's no meetings after five o'clock. Right. Now that may seem really small, but I am telling you how many times that does not happen. Yeah, but that but that's really the point, isn't it? That it's even the small things. It's it it's really I think, following yes. through with what you say. Yeah, it's well, especially during times of change. You know, if you're if there's another thing I'd love to outlaw would be change management because there's no such thing as that. Everything is change, and so we have to make sure that if you're if you're bringing people along and you're creating road under their feet, especially when things are changing so much and so rapidly, you have to be able, you have to remember that literally, even when we're working from our homes, that there's a mirror following us around every day. And that mirror is our employees. And we have to make sure that when we do things, they notice. And so the small things lead to very big things. You know, that's, it's one of the tenants when we teach pivot moments, this concept that we, that we teach about how to actually create resiliency by creating these pivot moments. It's the concept that anyone can shift for a single moment. And the sum of those small changes lead to massive, potentially positive ones. And so taking those moment by moment steps as we call pivot moments, and we say that it's the doorway to sustainable change. And if you think of it, life is nothing but a series of pivot moments. Right. <laughs> and it gives you, res it builds up resilience Gives you evidence, proof that, I, oh, I really can change. You can change too. And we all do and have the strength to continue. So it's, it's, I would agree with you that the incremental steps mean everything. Also, especially during so much times of change and flux, flux and especially with technology shifting, there's all you can do is right in this moment, mostly. You know, what right. can you control? It's that age old, what can I control in this moment, in this moment, in this moment? Right, e exactly. And, and I think the other part of it is remembering that we are always in a state of change. I think people get into this belief system that things are static until there's an upheaval, but that's not really true. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's, it, it has become more magnified today because remember there was a, 
there was a great article that was written and there was a PhD, a psychologist and a professor of child development at the University of Minnesota. And she coined uh, this phrase of surge capacity. And what she was talking about is this collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that people draw on for short-term survival in very stressful situations like natural disasters. Like you can look out, see the damage that it causes. And today, I think oftentimes we're in this surge capacity or maybe what neuroscience, neuroscientists would call our sympathetic nervous system. And so we're constantly in this heightened state of on. And so when you're in this constant anxious state, and most people, when we when I do sessions now with leaders and teams, I can't tell you the amount of people that are anxious that will physically state that they have anxiety. Yeah. And so it's it's a matter of how do we as leaders attune ourselves to be able to listen for it so that we can actually help move people into a parasympathetic nervous system state so that they can actually calm their systems down a little bit. I'm not asking you to be a therapist. I'm just asking you to be a human. Like, how about a hobby? You know, or or let people go and do yoga after five o'clock, you know, so mm. that they can be able to see another day. And it actually is, it, it is a crisis. That's why we talk about this mental health crisis that we're seeing globally now. Yeah. Yeah, so... If there's, you know, if there's, if there's people listening and they're thinking to themselves, okay, I want to be able to start this process. I want to um, maybe change the way we're having conversations or, you know, the, the, the expectations that we're having of people and maybe implement some of these ideas. Is there anything that you would advise them as far as like a starting point? I think it goes back to what we originally talked about. Here's something that every, every single person can do personally and professionally is if you go back to the reality check that we talked about when we started, what are the facts? Yeah. What are the assumptions or the meaning I'm making of the situation? What's the impact if I continue to see it that way? What's really my intention in the situation? Let me go back to my original intention. And now what actions can I take? It opens up the world to self-agency and self-authoring. If as an as a leader, I always like to tell people, do you first, right? <laughs> and so just do that for you for a bit. Yeah. And then be able, because once you start doing that, you'll be able to hear it when other people are creating narratives in places that may not be accurate. Or once again, it's your interpretation of the accuracy of it. And so you facilitate them in the conversation. Okay, well, what's the facts? Okay, well, what's the meaning you're making out of it? Okay, what else? What else is there for you? What do you mean? What are you making you mean about yourself or about this person or about the situation or about the priorities or about the goals or about our direction? Okay, got it. You know, you, you really have that conversation with yourself or with them. And what's the impact if you continue to see it that way? Oh, I'm I don't know if I'll be able to do anything. <laughs> you know, it's say, all right, let's go back to our original intention. Well, the original intention I want is I want to feel inspired. I want to be motivated. I want to be in collaboration, partnership. Okay, well, now what will you do as a result of seeing it newly? I think if we just did that simple thing, I think for ourselves and for people that we lead, I think it'll be revolutionary. 
I do too. And I love the idea of doing it on yourself first for so many reasons, not the least of which is, you know what it feels like. And you're not asking someone to do something you haven't done. So even if they're skeptical, you know, it works. Yeah. Humility goes a long way. And even if you tell your own stories about it, like, Hey, I, I did this, but you know what? I, I really wasn't clean about it. Like I thought I was really leading with my intention, but I really wasn't. I was still leading in my own resignation or resentment. I don't know, I'm making this up, but even you being able to story tell, truth tell to your people about where it's gone well and where you've missed up. I think that in itself goes a long way too. Too often we talk about like, it's the, uh, like, what do we do great? But I think people really love to hear what we screwed up because they can learn from it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it, it's validating. It, it, it adds credibility to whatever it is we're talking to them about. It's humanizing, as you said before. Absolutely. It makes you, it makes you more human and it makes you more relatable. Yeah. People want people that they can, you know, I think that I often talk, talk about this when I talk about visibility and influence, that likability goes a long way. And people want to work with and want to do things for people that they like. Now, of course, they want to like you, but they also want to respect you. Yeah. So you have to fulfill on the whole picture. The likability does go a long way, too. It does. You know, the thing I say to my clients is um, first seek to be respected because then you will, people will like you they will want to be your friend but if you seek to be everyone's friend you'll never be respected well also you can't make the tough decisions if you i i have i have seen carnage from a lack of decision making or a uh a a massive lack of indecision or the wanting to be liked that is it is i i think that it's one of the most harrowing deficits when someone step has that because what you do around you is you just cripple your organization and you cripple yeah. the people that report to you. Yeah. And it's, I it's a growth it. edge for yourself more than anything else. I saw an executive that let someone work. I mean, I've seen this so many stories. I can tell you about this, but like, as an example, I saw an executive president of a division, let someone be on her team in a senior role who could not have a tough conversation to save his life. And as a result of that, they were, they could not produce the work that they produced. They could not actually generate the kind of revenue that they did. And she let it go on for two years. Wow. Yeah, it's, it is. So you don't get what you're going for either, because I don't think, I, I think everyone knows what's happening. You said before that no matter where you are, you have eyes on you. And, and it's so true. Everyone is watching. Everyone's paying attention. They know they want you to do something about it. And then when you don't, they can't respect you. So you're not even getting what you're going for. The other thing I think we have to, is, as leaders, I think you have to really remember that if we're in the business of creating this environment that we're talking about, one of the most generous human things that we can human things one of the most generous things we can do for another person and filled with human dignity is 
to say when it's not working and to yeah. do it from a place out of respect, trust, and safety. Like if it's yeah. working, if it's working, it's going to be working with, but if it's not, I'm actually going to tell you, I'm going to do it in a way that is generous and loving. So this way we can both make the decisions that we need to make to actually move on with our lives. Right. Because the thing is that you have to remember that organizations are like we talked about earlier, are constantly shifting and moving. You as a human are constantly changing and expanding. Sometimes those do not meet. Right. So I was hired into how often, right? I hired into a job based on certain qualities and criteria that, that I was asked to fulfill. I agreed to fulfill it. And then some, you know, there's always stuff that's on the job description, right? And so, you know, I would, I, I agree to that. And we, you know what, we've had a good run. We've been doing this for a long time, but you know what? The organization changed and the culture is not the same anymore. And it's not in alignment with who I am for whatever reason. Yeah. And so oftentimes people will stick around for lots of reasons, you know, financial or, <clears throat> excuse me, financial reasons or other, and organizations will hold on to them. And it's, it's really detrimental to everybody. Yeah. Right. And you can shepherd someone out with as much love and respect to which you hired them as well. Exactly. And most, and most times people on both sides know that things aren't working. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. That, that's exactly right. Oh my gosh, Esther, I have loved this conversation. It, it is so incredibly valuable. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Will you let the listeners know how they can find you, please? Yes, it's easy. It's at thereadyzone.com. So the ready, R-E-A-D-Y zone, Z-O-N-E.com. Excellent. Thank you. I will make sure that is in the show notes. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.